I want to begin by asking you a question. When you and your family get together for the holidays, whether it be Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas, how many of you all celebrate these with a meal? Pretty obvious, right? How many of you celebrate it with several meals? Yeah. All right. That's the way we do it as well. It's interesting to think about how many of our holidays revolve around the meal. With our family, when you get together, mom and grandma and aunts, they're all talking about who's going to bring what. And, and okay, I'm going to bring dessert, you bring sides, I'll bring the main course, and, and they have this conversation. My mom and my grandmother around Christmas, they get together and they plan the meals. We're going to have this on Christmas Eve. We're going to have this Christmas morning, this Christmas night. They could probably submit us a menu about a month or two in advance. These are a part of our celebration, right? A central part of our celebration. And if you think about it, our lives revolve around the meal, don't they? How many of y'all have said this in the past week? Hey, let's meet for breakfast. Or I've got to get that done before lunch. Or what's for dinner? How many of y'all have made that statement? We all have, right? Our lives revolve around the meal. And, and our daily calendars revolve around the meal, don't they? I've got to get this, this, and this done before lunch. I'm going to do this, this, and this after lunch. And I've got to get this, this, and this done before I get home in time for dinner. So our, our daily calendars revolve around the meal. How many of you all are here this morning are excited because you know where you're going to go eat lunch afterwards? Anybody? I am, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of you have been driving around and you see a new restaurant going in? You're like, I can't wait to eat at that new, if it's in Jacksonville, new Mexican restaurant going in. <clears throat> There's a lot of good ones. There's some good ones. <clears throat> How many of you have dining rooms in your home? A whole room devoted to eating. You have a big table set up. You have cabinets displaying your china. Our lives revolve around the meal, don't they? And you know what? What you find in the scriptures are a lot of stories revolved around food. Food plays a big part in the scriptures. What was the first command that God gave man? You can eat from any tree except one, right? And what was the first sin man committed? It involved eating, didn't it? Eating the forbidden fruit. Let's fast forward a little bit to the Israelites in Egypt. What were they doing in Egypt in the first place? There was a lack of food, wasn't there? And then when God delivers them from bondage, what do they do before they leave? They eat a meal. God has them out in the wilderness. What does God provide them with? Bread. He tells them about the land of promise. What's the major characteristic of the land of promise? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that interesting? Did Jesus talk about food? He did, didn't he? What was his first miracle he performed? Turning water into wine at the, at the wedding celebration. 
He referred to himself as the bread of life. He, he referred to his disciples as the salt of the earth. He told the parable of the fig tree, the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast. After he was raised to life, he ate with his disciples, didn't he? So food plays a big part in the scriptures, wouldn't you say? Jesus fed 4,000. He fed 5,000. Today we're going to look at the most significant meal in all the Bible. And not only in all the Bible, but in our lives as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be beginning in verse 14. While you're turning there, I want to let you know next week we're going to be starting a new sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. So I want you to encourage you to be a part of that. But this morning I wanted to take a Sunday just to explain to you how to think about the Lord's Supper. Now there's a lot of people who call it different things depending upon tradition. I've noticed a lot of people here call it communion. And I would have called it that, but one of my points has communion in it, so it sounds real weird. So that's why I put the Lord's Supper. Some of you call it uh, uh, the Eucharist, the Mass. There, there's a lot of different names. We're going to refer to it as, as the Lord's Supper this morning. This was a meal that was started 2,000 years ago and is a meal that we as a church continue to participate in today. And we're, and, and we're going we're gonna to have the Lord's Supper after this sermon. But before we do, I wanted to share with you a little bit about what the Scriptures teach about this practice. Now, some of you in here, if you were honest... If I ask and you're honest, you would probably admit that you know that the Bible says something about the Lord's Supper and you know it's, it's the church thing to do. But beyond that, you, you, may not have, you may have little to no understanding of why we take the Lord's Supper. So it's good you're here this morning because that's what we're going to discuss. What we mean when we take the Lord's Supper. Here's what we mean. Number one. We take the Lord's Supper as a memorial. First, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Let's look at Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, some of you are saying, Passover? What's he talking about? I thought we were talking about the Lord's Supper. Which one is it? We're going to talk about Passover. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Well, what we're going to find is, to understand the Lord's Supper, we have to understand Passover. It's essential that we understand Passover before we understand the Lord's Supper because the two are very closely connected. The Passover meal is perhaps the oldest institution given to Israel. It predates the Mosaic Law. It predates the priesthood. It predates all other rituals and ordinance. It's the oldest. And at the time that Jesus is taking Passover with his disciples, they had been taking it for 1,500 years, over 1,500 years. So what is this meal that they were taking 2,000 years ago, what, what, what is this meal that they were taking at this time that they have been taking for 1,500 years 
that they were, what, what is this they were celebrating on this night? Well, let's, let's go back and look at where it all began. Remember, the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were slaves, and they were being oppressed. And remember, God comes in and says, through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go willingly, was he? He refused. So God begins to send plagues on Egypt. And, you know, he sends all these plagues, and Pharaoh kind of waffles back and forth a few times, but he, he, he is not going to let them go. So what God decides to do is to send the plague of all plagues. He sends the angel of death who comes down and who takes the life of every firstborn child. But you remember, the, the Israelites, they had an opportunity to be spared from this plague by going out and sacrificing a lamb and taking the blood and spreading it over the post of the door. And with, if they did that, they were told that their house would be passed over and their child would be spared. And this plague, this event, allowed for God's people to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. And you know what? This is what God knew. God knew his people have a tendency to forget. And we do, don't we? I mean, we, we forget even the greatest of blessings. And God knew that about us. You know, Edie's, uh, she's at the point now where she's uh, doing something new every day. And Leslie and I know that we better write them down. She's better at it than me. You know, write it down. We videotape it. She puts it on the blog. Because we know that if we don't do this, we'll forget some of these special moments. So we're doing that all the time because we have a tendency to forget, don't we? And it, the Israelites were no different and God knew that. So here's what he did. He says, I'm going to give you an ordinance. I'm going to give you an institution that I want you to do every single year. And the reason why I want you to do this is I want you to remember what I have done for you. So here's what they did. They took this meal called a Passover meal. And in this meal, they had several key elements that were to be a part of the meal that served as a reminder to the children of Israel what God had done for them. One thing that they had was they had a lamb. And they would take the lamb outside and they would sacrifice it and they would put the blood of the lamb on the altar. And then they would roast it and then they would eat it. And, and whatever was left, they would put on the fire to be burned up. And this, this lamb was a reminder to them that a sacrifice had to be made for their deliverance. So every year, for 1,500 years, they would take this lamb, and they would sacrifice it, and they would eat it, and it was to, it was to serve as a reminder to them of all the lambs that had been sacrificed for their deliverance. They also took unleavened bread. Every Passover, they had unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread reminded them of a couple of things. First thing it reminded them of was they had to leave quickly, all right? When God delivered the children of Israel, he didn't say, hey, just sit down, you know, enjoy a good night's rest, get up tomorrow early and leave. No, they had to get up and go. So this bread, they didn't have time to put a leavening agent in it, such as yeast. And it's to remind them when they ate the bread that you didn't, get to, you didn't just get to hang around. You had to get up and go. Listen to what the Lord says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it. 
with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that's one thing the bread reminded them of. Another thing the unleavened bread reminded them of was that the Egyptian culture and religion was to in no way, shape, or form have any influence upon them. Just as, just as uh, yeast influences a batch of bread and causes it to rise, so the Lord did not want their bread to have yeast in it because he wanted that to be a reminder to them. These foreign nations aren't to have any influence on you, their culture nor their religion. So every year, for 1,500 years, they would have a lamb, and it was to remind them of the sacrifice that was made for their deliverance. And they were also to have bread without yeast in it, unleavened bread. And it was to remind them that they left quickly and that they were not to be influenced by the foreign nations in any way. Another thing they had at the, uh, at the meal was this paste. And it was called chesserin. And it was made from fruits and nuts, and they were to take the bread and they were to dip it into this pasty substance, and it was a reminder to them of the hard, the hard environment they had and the hard work that they did as slaves. In this paste, they put a bitter herb in the paste, and when they would taste it, they would be reminded of the bitter circumstances that they had in Egypt. It was to remind them, you were slaves, and your time as slaves was hard, but God delivered you. And at the end of the Passover meal, the youngest son would stand up, and he would ask his dad, Dad, what makes this night different from any other night? And the dad would take time to explain the different elements of the meal and, and show them what, what God had done for them. There was also a time during the meal that they would take a cup of wine and they would drink from it at four separate times. And, and when they did it, they would recount God's promises to them. And then they would sing Hallel Psalms, which is where we get our word hallelujah, which is taken from Psalm 113 through 118. And they would sing this as a celebration for the Passover meal before they went out. Now, I explain all that to you to say this. This is something God initiated that the Israelites did every year for 1,500 years up to this point where Christ is meeting with his disciples. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, <clears throat> when Christ said Passover meal, do you think there was anybody in the room who was like, Passover? What on earth are you talking about? Think there was anybody who was confused about what they were about to do? No. They had taken this meal their entire lives. So when they go into this meal, they're thinking, we're going to celebrate Passover the same way we have all of our lives. And it's also not a coincidence that Jesus introduces the Lord's Supper on the same night that Passover takes place. It's not a coincidence. Jesus intentionally establishes the Lord's Supper on the same night of the Passover meal. 
And another thing that's, that's interesting about it is this. On the same night that, that Jesus introduces the Lord's Supper, it's the last divinely ordained Passover and the first divinely ordained Lord's Supper meal. This is a key night in church history. So all the elements are ready for the Passover. The disciples, some of them, had gone ahead and prepared the meal. Then Christ comes, and they sit down, and they get ready to take it, and Jesus stands up, and he takes the bread, and he stands there for a minute, and as tradition was, probably one of them was assigned to say, what makes this night different than any other night? And you know what they were expecting to hear from Jesus? Story of the Exodus. The unleavened bread means, you know, that you had to leave in haste and, and that you're not to be influenced by foreign nations. The lamb reminds us that a sacrifice had to be made for your deliverance. That's what they were expecting. But that's not what they got, was it? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke twenty two nineteen. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, it doesn't say this in the text. But my guess is that when Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, their jaws probably hit the floor. You could probably hear a pin drop in the room. Because for their entire lives, they've been told this story of the Exodus. And Jesus stands up and says, this bread is my body. What? What do you mean? What are you talking about? The bread is, you're supposed to tell the story of the Exodus. Jesus says, no, this bread is my body. What's Christ doing here? Is he doing away with the Passover altogether? No. He's transforming it into something much, much bigger than the Exodus. He's transforming the Passover. God's people were no longer to participate in a Passover meal, but instead the Lord's Supper meal. He says, when you take this bread, I want you to remember my body. In other words, I want you to remember Christmas Day. I want you to remember Emmanuel. I want you to remember God with us. I want you to remember that I left the riches of heaven, that I took on, earth, that I took on flesh, came to earth, and dwelt among you. I want you to remember that God was with you, that I walked with you, that I talked with you, that I ate with you. Every time you eat that bread, I want you to remember that. It's what Jesus was saying there. So he's transforming the meal transforming the old memorial with the new one. And then he picks up the cup. Remember we said he, he would drink from the cup, they would drink from the cup four different times and they would recount God's promises. Jesus takes the cup. Does he talk about the exodus? No, look what he says. He held up the cup and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now he tells them, I want you to associate the wine we drink no longer with, with the Passover meal. I want you to associate it with my blood. See, all along, Christ had told them this was the plan. 
that he was going to the cross, that he was going to suffer and he was going to die. And he says, now when you take this cup from here on, remember that my blood was poured out for you. When you take the bread, remember Emmanuel. Remember that God was with you, that I walked with you, that I talked with you, that I, that I ate with you. And I also want you to remember when you take the cup that my blood was poured out for you, that I died as your substitute and your perfect sacrifice. That's what I want you to remember when you take the Lord's Supper meal. How many of you remember the first time you went to Washington, D.C.? Remember going? It's kind of a neat experience, isn't it? I mean, it just, I, I remember feeling moved by the experience. You know, you're just, it just kind of instills in you this sense, of, this sense of patriotism, doesn't it? Just makes you proud to be an American. Anybody have this experience? See all the memorials and remember what you learned in history. I mean, it's just a neat experience. And in a similar sense, we're to have this experience with the Lord's Supper. It's meant to be a memorial for us. It's meant to remind us of what, of what has happened in the past. Like the monuments in Washington remind us of those who have gone before us. They remind us of our history and help us excuse me, cherish it and remember it. That's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's to remind us of the person and work of Christ. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, Let's take it as a memorial. As you take it, as you take it, may you be reminded and may your children, as they watch you take it, may they watch and, and, and may it be a reminder to them that, that Jesus came to earth, that he took on flesh, that he dwelt among us, and that his blood was poured out for you and for me as our substitute and sacrifice. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. Number two, the Lord's Supper is a communion. Now you see why I named it Lord's Supper. A communion is a communion. That just wasn't working well. The Lord's Supper is a communion. Now if you have your Bibles, mark Luke and then turn over real quickly to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17 through 18 real quickly. And then we'll go back to the book of Luke. While you're turning there, let me explain to you a little bit about what's going on. There was a problem at the church in Corinth. That's, that's an understatement. They had several problems. But uh, they, this particular problem that uh, was about, they, they had a similar view that many of us have today in church. They, they were beginning to think that Christianity is just all about me and God. That's all it is. It's just me and God. And they were, they were prideful about it. And they were bragging about their spiritual gifts. And, and they believed that, that their gifts made them significant, more significant than the next person. And it influenced the way they did the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper in Corinth had become a very individualized uh, uh, kind of practice. And, and it became more about me and God and me getting close to God. And Paul, look at what he says in verse 17. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And then he says in verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat it, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. And Paul comes in and says, that's not what the Lord's Supper is all about. 
obviously, right? It's not just about you and God. It's not just about you doing what you please and you trying to get as close to God as you can. It's much more about God's community. The church having the Lord's Supper together. Paul wanted them to realize this. Your Christian life, though it is about you and God, it's much bigger than that. It's about you as a community of believers before the Lord. And there's purpose behind the Lord's Supper and taking it as a community. He doesn't want them to just be together for togetherness sake. Look what he says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says this, every time you take the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. Why do we do the Lord's Supper together as a church? It's a proclamation. It's a statement that we make together. We make it to God. We make it to one another. We make it to unbelievers who may be in our midst. We are making a proclamation together that we, as a church, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we take communion. When the church comes together for for the Lord's Supper, it's a communion. It's a community of people. That's the way it was intended to be. And it's us coming together, recognizing the work that the Lord has done in saving us. Now, I know that, that there have been some people who have, who have taken it in, in, in a wedding ceremony, a couple taking it. I know that there have been youth groups that have taken it or college groups. And I don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But, but, but I do. If it were me, I would prefer that it take place in this setting on Sunday morning because the Lord's Supper is not so much about an individual or a couple or a small group saying we're devoted to God. It's about the church. It's about the church gathering together and proclaiming together the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's a statement. It's not something we do just because it feels like church. It's not something we do just because it it makes us feel good or makes us feel spiritual. We do it because it's a statement as we as a church that are making together that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe that he was offered up as a sacrifice for us. The Lord's Supper is a communion because it's about a community of believers with the same story gathering together to proclaim the work that Christ has done in us. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's take it as a community of believers. Let's gather together and take it together, not as individuals, but as a community of believers, as the church. Let us say to God, to one another, to unbelievers, that this is our proclamation, that we believe in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a communion. Number three, the Lord's Supper is a celebration. The Lord's Supper is a celebration. The church I grew up in had a tendency just to focus on the the past aspect of the Lord's Supper. And when we came together, it was, we were kind of told, you know, you just kind of think about Christ's death and 
and that's, that's about it, and you just think about it, and the, the, even the table up, it's not written on this, is it? And the table up uh, said, you know, this, do this in remembrance of me. It was more kind of like a memorial service, like a funeral service in a, in a bit. You know, you're thinking about Jesus' death as you take the cup and take the bread. And, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's about that. We've already talked about that. We should think about Christ's death. It should be a memorial to us, but it's more than that. You know what? The Lord's Supper should also point us toward the future. Let me show you what I mean here. Look at at Luke 22 again. Turn back this way to Luke chapter 22. Let's look at verse 16 real quickly. Once again, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room right before he's to be crucified, and he's instituting this meal called the Lord's Supper. And look what he says here. He says, verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, what is the it here? Will not eat what? Is Jesus saying, I'm not going to eat with you any longer until I return? No, we know he eats with them again, doesn't he? After his resurrection, what's the, what's the it here? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about this meal that they're taking. So, so here's what he's doing. He's instituted this meal, and he's told his disciples, we're going to eat this meal, and then I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to be raised, and I'm going to return to be with the Father, and we will not eat it again until the return until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until that future day when I return for the church. That's what Christ is talking about. Look at, look at Revelation 19.9. Well, don't, don't turn there. I'll just read it for you. I got you flipping too much. Revelation 19.9. You can just jot it down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Christ is talking about when he says it. He's talking about that time when he returns for his church. When he returns for his bride. And he's saying here that that there is going to be a meal that we are going to have together. I'm instituting the first meal tonight. And you guys are going to continue to take it. I'm going to leave you and you're to continue to take this. And you're to to take this in, in, in remembrance of the fact that I was with you and the fact that I gave my life for you. You're to take it as a community of believers and, and you're to take it to make, as a statement and a proclamation that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But he said, you're also to take it looking forward in anticipation of that day when I return for you and we celebrate this meal together. And guess what? In that future meal, it's going to be a feast. Can't believe I didn't hear any amens about that. I've got to be hungry, right? It's going to be a feast. It's going to be more than just a, a little cracker and a shot of grape juice. It is. It's going to be more than a grab and go. We are going to sit and stay and enjoy being with our Savior. Those of you who get together with family around the holidays, you enjoy it. 
getting get together and getting to see family you hadn't seen in a while and just reminiscing. You ever you ever watch the the moms and the grandmothers or maybe the dads and the and the uh, grandfathers just they they're just loving it, aren't they? Don't they just love it? They they it's just they they love when everybody's together, gathered around the table, laughing, maybe arguing, but enjoying one another's company. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But it's just a picture. It's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Christ returns and when we have this final banquet with him. This meal signifies that the end has come. The kingdom of God has returned in its fullness. No more sickness, no more death. It's just going to be an enjoyable event. So as we take the Lord's Supper, it's a, it's a celebration in anticipation of that time when Christ returns for us and we have a banquet with Him. I graduated from the uh, University of Arkansas and uh, once a year I try to make it to a football game in the fall. I didn't make it this last year for the first time in a long time because it was pretty busy for us. But uh, when you go to a game... They're always talking about 1964. Y'all probably have no... Well, you may know what I'm getting at, but it doesn't mean much to y'all. Uh, but 1964 is a significant year for Razorback fans because that's the year they won the national championship. And there's always talk about 1964. When you go, they'll, they'll have players come out on the field and, uh, and they'll show old clips from the team. And they, they do this every year. It's kind of embarrassing after a while, you know. 1964, okay, all right. You know, that, that's what the opposing team is saying. Yeah, you're going to be waiting another 50 years. <laughs> but they do this for several reasons. One is to, to remind the fans of how great it was to be a Razorback in, in 1964, to kind of remind them of what happened. But you know what else? They also do it just to whet our appetite as Razorback fans in hopes of winning another one someday in the future. And the Lord's Supper is to do that for us. It's to whet our appetite for that future day when Christ returns. It's about the past. It's about Jesus' death. There's no way we can, we can divorce the Lord's Supper from that. But it's also a celebration. As we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's, let's take it as a celebration. Let's look forward to the future together, to that day when our Lord returns. If you're here this morning, and you're not a believer. As we as believers come to the table and, and, and take this Lord's Supper together, I, I want to challenge you, I want to urge you this morning just to, just to reflect on your life. Think about your past and your, and your present and your future. Ask, ask yourself this question. What am I doing to prepare for that day when the Lord returns? I can tell you how you can prepare. God tells us we need to humble ourselves. He says we need to humble ourselves and come before Him and just say, God, I'm in need of what you have done for me in Christ. I'm in need of what you have done. If you're here right now and you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, I encourage you to do that right now. Just turn to the Lord and say, 
God, I need what you've done for me. I'm a sinner, but I know and I believe that Jesus died for me and I want to live for him. And you can be right with God right now. Salvation can be today for you. For those trusting in Christ, here in just a moment we're going to, to pray. And as the music begins, I invite you to come to the table when you feel led. And, and uh, as we do, let's take this Lord's Supper as a, as a memorial. As you take the bread, remember Emmanuel, that God was with us in the flesh. And as you take the juice, remember that his blood was poured out for you and for me as our sacrifice and substitute. Let's also take it as a communion. Let this be our statement as a church. To whoever's watching, this is what we believe. This is what we stand on. And let's also take it as a celebration. Let us look forward to that future day with other believers as we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this meal that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this reminder to us of your great love that you've shown us by sending your Son, by bankrupting heaven, sending your Son to live with us and for us and to die as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. Lord, we take this meal this morning as a memorial, as a communion, and as a celebration. In Jesus' name, amen.